0: Welcome to the Acts 13 Network podcast. My name is Dan Rose and I am the lead troublemaker here at the Acts 13 Network. We're glad you have decided to spend a little bit of time with us. What can you expect from this podcast? Well, hopefully, you will walk away from it learning to love well. That's our heart, that's our hope, that's our desire. We want to try to help people love well by hearing the words of jesus learning the works of jesus and following in the way of jesus so let's get on to this week's episode all right we are continuing now in our study of the book of Acts together, and uh, you know, this, this week is, uh, this week is tough. This passage that we are going to look at here in Acts chapter six verses one through seven, uh, it is, it's not an easy one. Um. So often, as we as we look at this passage, the way that I've consistently and almost always heard uh, this passage preached from uh, is: this is the time where me as your pastor am supposed to explain to you why I shouldn't be doing all of the mundane, boring things. I should be, you know, preaching at you, praying for you. Uh, spending time in my office studying, and that's, that's what I should be doing, while all of you should be doing all of the real hard work of real ministry. And, uh, you know, being with people, uh, particularly the, the fringes and the outside folks. Well, I'm not entirely sure that's the best understanding of this passage. There might be some truth to that, but not the way that it has been leveraged uh, by probably myself and others in the past, so uh, we begin to get a little glimpse here of how imperfect the early church really was right we've we 've caught glimpses of the good stuff you know about how they held all things in common, how they went ahead and met one another 's needs how you know, numbers were being added to them daily, how they were growing, they loved one another, they stood up to the man, they 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 looked pretty good. Well, that all comes crashing down right here in Acts chapter six. We get to see a little bit of the seedy, dark underbelly of the church. It turns out that the church has never been perfect. That the church has always had its problems. So, you know, I heard it once said that if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there because you will ruin it. Right? It turns out that there are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people. We all bring our imperfections and our mess-upness to the church. And that was no different back in the first generation of Jesus followers as it is today, nearly 2,000 years later. So, let's pick up the story here in Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing... And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's Word. Now, there's some joke in here about priests becoming obedient to the faith once they realize they didn't have to serve tables anymore. Because um, a lot of us guys, priest-pastor types, don't like doing that. Um, you can kind of get a little sense of, of the apostles here, you know, just in the way that even Luke presents this, right? It wouldn't be right for us to wait on tables. Now, you know, that's, that's a little arrogant. Their point is made, though, right? There, there, there are some important things that, that they were doing. Ministering the Word and prayer and doing the things that the apostles were doing was important. It was also not any more important than serving widows and caring for them and making sure that the people who were the most vulnerable in the community of faith were cared for. And so the apostles, in their wisdom, said, hey, we need some help. So they put together a process. And they said, here's the process. Nominate for us. Nominate for us some other leaders. And they need to be people who are, you know, they, they give this little... This little sense here, right? Um, known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. This is this is what they were looking for. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. Well, how do you know someone's full of the Spirit? Like are there special glasses that you can put on and you, know, you can see like a little haze around them or something? Well, no. No. You know someone is full of the Spirit by the fruit in their life. So what they did is they looked around and they said, okay, Who are the guys that are demonstrating love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Who are demonstrating those things that Paul ultimately refers to in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit? That's how we know who's full of the Spirit, is someone who's demonstrating those nine things, the ninefold fruit. So they looked around and they said, Here are seven fellas that are demonstrating these nine fruit. Whew, these must have been some good dudes, right? I mean, really, you know, to to have amongst all of those people to be highlighted as someone who demonstrates those things, what an absolutely humbling experience. And it says they also needed to demonstrate wisdom. Wisdom, that is the ability not to just know stuff, but to know how to apply the stuff, to know what to do with the stuff. We live in a day and age where knowledge is off the charts. Information is off the charts. You can know anything you want to know in moments. We don't need any more information. right? We carry, we carry all of human history's knowledge in our pockets, many of us, or in our purses. We don't need more access to information or data knowledge what we need is more wisdom we live in a day and age where there seems to be a sincere lack of wisdom how do we apply things to life how do we how do we take our knowledge about and and i'll speak to my own colleagues right other us as pastors you go to seminary get your masters of divinity we really need to come up with a new name um, because I don't think we're ever going to master the divine, because that's what masters of divinity means. And we learn a lot of information. We can pass exams, and we can, you know, do Greek and Hebrew stuff, and all of that good, all that good stuff. But we have very little. We have very little training in wisdom. How do we take what we know from Scripture and apply it to lives? How do we take grace and apply it like a salve? Into broken hearts and wounded lives. That comes through time, that comes through living, that comes from sitting in hospital rooms and holding someone's hand. That just comes from being involved in the lives of people. Young pastors, uh, they don't necessarily have a lot of wisdom. Older pastors don't necessarily have a lot of wisdom. <laughs> it, it is an, it is a practiced thing. So they looked at these seven guys. They said, yeah, who are they? Who demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit? Who demonstrates wisdom? These seven guys. And everyone said, that's good. We like it. And then all the numbers increased, it said. Right? Good story. But, that, and that is typically where the story ends. Because typically what we like to do is ignore the beginning. We typically really like to ignore this opening part of the story. Why did these seven guys need to be like raised up? It really wasn't because the apostles were so overwhelmed with helping out the widows. That really wasn't the issue. The real issue was that you had two different kinds of followers of Jesus in the community you had hellenistic jews and hebraic jews is what is what Luke tells us it's interesting isn't it they're both jews so this isn't like two different ethnicities this are one ethnicity two languages the hellenistic jews were jewish people who only spoke greek perhaps they were jews from the diaspora where they had been spread out all over the world, they had learned Greek, hadn't learned Hebrew or Aramaic, and now they're back in Jerusalem and they're living there to be amongst the people, to be amongst their own, so to speak. And they're now a part of the the church, they're they're starting to follow Jesus. They only speak Greek. But then you've got the Aramaic Jews, the Hebraic Jews, the ones who spoke... um, Aramaic, probably. Probably not Hebrew, not on the daily. Um, most likely spoke Aramaic, but they were still known as the Hebraic Jews because they read the Hebrew scriptures and that kind of thing. You know, the Hellenistic Jews probably read out of the Septuagint, um, they probably read the Greek version. So, so you've got these two. And the Aramaic Jews within the church said, We're not giving their widows food. Those Greek speakers are below us. They're beneath us. They're not really part of us. They're they're just those people. Why? Because they speak a different language. They speak Greek. They don't speak Aramaic. They don't speak Hebrew. They speak Greek. They're just kind of less than. Second class. And they're not worth our time. And really... We're not gonna give the widows food. Think about that for a minute. We we just got done reading in Acts chapter 5 about how, and Acts chapter 4 and in Acts chapter 2 about how they shared everything in common. They were taking care of each other. But there was this dark underbelly, right? The, The Hebrew speakers. Versus the Greek speakers. The Greek speakers were seen to have have given in to Rome and Caesar. They were were the Jews that really weren't faithful. They were were the ones that were kind of ashamed of, of being Jews as kind of the way that the Hebrew Jews, Hebraic Jews, probably saw them in some sense. But whatever it was, their widows did not deserve food. They did not deserve to get the help that the Hebraic widows did. So they just simply overlooked them. They said, oh, Hebrew speaker, here's your food. Greek speaker, nope. Hebrew speaker. And maybe if there was some left over, then maybe it trickled on down to the Greek speaking widows. But by and large, this was a big enough problem that finally the Greek speakers ha- had to come to the apostles and say, our widows are not being cared for. Our widows are not being cared for. That's a problem. Because you turn, you go back in the Old Testament and who's God's heart for? His, spe- His kind of special heart with, with with the divine is widows and orphans. Those who are on the outside, those who are on the fringes, because you, you have to remember, back in the first century, you know, the the rights of women weren't quite the same as they are now. They, you know, this is you know widows by and large, women by and large went from their father's household to their husband's household, never procuring for themselves land or money or power. That was all on their husbands. And so if they lived a wonderful life, a nice long life, and their father died, and their older brothers died, and then their husband died, the widows were by and large left with nothing. No way to meet their needs no way they they, they weren't going to go out to aldi and pick up some grub it wasn't going to happen they were dependent on the community now these hellenistic jews couldn't go to the to the to their jewish brothers and sisters in the synagogue by and large because well they were hellenistic so they kind of got it over there so now here they are in the church right here they are in this new sect within judaism this followers of jesus thing where they're sharing everything in common this is great and what were they met with the exact same thing nope you don't get any here either because you're a dirty rotten greek speaker you're a hellenist So we want to be just like the early church, right? (laughs) The early church was broken. The early church was disunified. The early church had issues. But do you notice something that the early church did that maybe we could learn from? And that is this. They dealt with it. They stepped right into the middle of it, and they dealt with it. They said, hey, this is happening over here. Our widows are being ignored. Our widows are not being taken care of. And they brought it to the leaders. They said, what are we going to do? The leaders didn't kick it down the road. The leaders didn't say, well, let's think about that. We'll come back to that at the next session meeting. The leaders didn't say, let's put a pin in that. The leaders didn't just say, not sure, let's let's do a study committee. That's not what the leaders did. Now the leaders said, here's a plan. You're right, this is a problem. Here's a plan. Here's what we're going to do. And the whole community said, that sounds good to us. And they, they stepped into the plan, they engaged the plan, and now the widows were being taken care of. The issue wasn't a scarcity problem. Notice the issue really wasn't that there wasn't enough for those widows. It was just that they were being overlooked. The leaders dealt with it. Now you look at the, Ameri- you look at our, you look at the church in America and there are a lot of issues. There are a lot of issues. A lot of, a lot of brokenness because you've got a lot of broken people. We should, not, we should not be surprised that there are issues in the church. We just don't like to deal with the issues. We kind of like to be like ostriches and stick our head in the sand. Maybe if we just ignore them, they will go away. Sundays continue to be one of the most, if not the most segregated day in America. In all kinds of ways. It used to just be a segregation uh, by skin color. It used to just be you know black churches white churches hispanic churches we just kind of they all kind of did this right that kind of used to just be the way now it's not even that now by and large it's the most segregated day of the week by ideology people who think like this who voted for this guy or that guy they go to that church and the other ones go to this church the people who watch this news channel go to that church the people who watch that news channel go over to this church Segregated in all kinds of ways. It's a mess. It's a mess. We've got to deal with it. We've got to deal with it. We have got to figure out how do we love people who we consider to be dirty, rotten Hellenists? The first thing we have to do is we got to identify them. So, who's your those? Who, who for you are the widows that you would kind of sit back and go, maybe if there's enough, possibly, I will think about maybe giving you something. Whose widows would you kind of say, "Go to the end of the line?" I mean, that, that in some sense is what the Hebraic Jews were doing to the Hellenist Jewish widows. You guys go to the end of the line, and then we're going to make sure that there's not enough for you. Who are those people for you? And you're going to have to get honest. And, and the reality is is we all have those people. We all have people who we look out at the world and say, I would really prefer them not to get this. And the really scary thing for some of us, for some of us, and I think if I get real honest, myself included, is it's not, there's probably nobody, we're probably sitting here thinking, you probably just ran through in your head and said, no, I'd, I'd help any widow out. Okay, maybe you would. And probably I would too. But what gets real scary is when we start asking the question of who really doesn't deserve grace? Who would I really kind of prefer to like get God's justice? (laughs) And now we all start uncomfortably giggling because we all know that we got that person. It might even just be one person. It might not be a whole bunch of people, it just might be one person. That one person that you're like, oh, I would love to smite the heck out of them. I would would love to see, be there when the lightning bolt comes down, because woohoo, that'll be awesome. Right? And we all giggle uncomfortably because we know the truth of which I speak. That's your Hellenist. That's your person that if they were a widow, you would make sure the food ran out right before them. You go, oh, sorry, just ran out. Try again next week if you're still alive. That's, it's. I don't know about you, my hands are sweating a little bit as, as I think about that reality because it's entirely too uncomfortable. We need to follow what we see the example of the early church when they were confronted with this blind spot. Because I think, I think maybe for them, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt that it was a blind spot. They, they were part of their culture. They were part of their world, right? The Hellenists and the Greek speakers, they had issues. They, they, were, they were people of their time. But when they were confronted with this aspect of, of sin that they needed to deal with, They didn't kick the can down the road. They dealt with it. Guys, we need to deal with it. We all giggled uncomfortably enough to know that we got some of this in us too. We've got Hellenists that that we just want to kick to the side. So who is it? Who is it for you as an individual I want you to evaluate that. I want you to think about that. I want you to wrestle with that. But then, I want you to think about our congregation. Who is it as a congregation that we would say, we're probably not the congregation for you? Right? If they came walking in, maybe maybe it's that homeless person who is you know standing at the on-ramp and one Sunday found their way in here. Not smelling great. Hadn't been able to take a shower in a couple of weeks. Maybe they're the one that we're kind of like, hmm, there's a better place. Maybe, maybe, I don't know who it is. But who, whoever it is, we, we need to figure it out. And it's probably rooted in our individual stuff. In our individual struggles. So if we can identify are them, are those and say, yeah, who are they, then we can, we can be prepared if they ever show up here, to love them, to embrace them, to accept them into the body of Christ. Because what we see here in the beginning of Acts chapter six is that whether you're a Hellen, whether you're a Hellenist or a Hebraic Jew, you are welcome. There's to be unity in the body of Christ. We are all, we are all saved by this one Savior, by this one King of Kings, by this one who showed up in Jerusalem and and went to the cross. Right? And it's real easy to say. It's real different when you're faced with a real life person who you stare at them and think, I really hate you. I really do. That's when it gets real. And that's when it gets tough. But hopefully we'll be like the early church and not just ignore it. Not just wash it away. Not just try to tuck it under a, a rug somewhere or be like a you know high school kid that takes their dirty room and just shoves it all underneath their bed or into their closet and close the door real quick to make it look company clean. Closet was my move, by the way. Didn't leak out. And close the door. We got to get ready for it. We, we have to deal with it. you have to deal with it on an individual level and then we've got to figure it out what does that look like on a congregational level Because if each of us can deal with it one in, one at a time and then if congregations can begin to deal with it, congregation at a time, whoo all of a sudden it changes. It changes on a, on a larger scale. And maybe, maybe some transformation takes place. And maybe once again, in the same way that this passage ends, we would see the same thing happen. So the Word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I think the biggest thing that's hindering the Word of God from spreading now is the fact that so many of us have so many those people We've reached all the people that are just like us. Who are those people? Let's take the word to them. Let's take the grace to them. Let's, let's demonstrate love and love and grace and mercy to those people in the same way that we saw here in the beginning of our family story. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you... That as we, as we gather here, while not perfect, we, we know that, that Jesus is. We know that Jesus' heart for the world is bigger than ours. That for Jesus, there was no those or they or thems. So would you help us to follow in His way? Would You open our, our, our hearts and our minds and show us who our Hellenists are so that we, in turn, might love them well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.